The real tech experts of RUSD podcast will provide integration ideas, help you get in touch with other tech experts, and discuss ways to make your instructional tech more manageable. Featuring Julia Ebge. One school just wasn't enough for me. Now I'm integrating tech at five schools. And Randy Venny. I don't need to troubleshoot tech problems. My computer works for me. The real tech experts of RUSD is a great way to get ideas in the go. You can listen in the car during your workout, or over lunch. Since it's recorded, you can always pause and come back at your leisure. And now, recorded from a closet somewhere in RUSD, The Real Texperts. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of The Real Texperts of RUSD. I'm Randy. And I'm Julia. And today we are continuing down the path of what to do with the new tech in your building. This episode, we're focusing on small groups and uh, how to work without that whole class instruction. We're going to take a look at some apps that aren't in ClassLink. We're going to give you some other ideas how to make centers in your room. And during the second segment, we are going to chat with Stephanie Skarnis, the IB coordinator at Starbuck, and she's going to talk to us all about Flipgrid. As part of our student tech refresh, lots of classrooms now have a set of Chromebooks in their room, usually a set of 10, and we know most teachers don't have just 10 students that they work with. So in this episode, we really want to give you some samples and ideas of how to use that set of 10 Chromebooks in your classroom. If I could just get in my soapbox for a minute here, uh, I think part of the issue that teachers are having, and uh, I've seen this firsthand, is that tech time is not some sort of standalone uh, opportunity for instruction. There is no technology class. There's no technology grade in your report card. It needs to be integrated. And I think that's the issue teachers are having here is, you know, you, you want to do whole group extru- instruction when it comes to computers. And we need to just change our mindset. We need to get that out of our head and realize I have 10 devices in my room all the time. Let's make a center or maybe two centers, two smaller centers. But we have to forego the notion of whole group instruction when it comes to computers. I will step down off my soapbox now. No, those were really good points to make, Randy. And not only in this episode are we going to give you some ideas on how to use those small group set of Chromebooks, but also your tech integrator in your building is a great resource. They can come in and actually guide instruction in that small group and kind of help students get used to using the center rotation model. Um, They can pull small groups of students out into a different area of your classroom and use those 10 devices. So we're here to support you and not um, make you feel like these new devices are a roadblock. This should be something that you're excited about and maybe it takes a little bit of a shift on how to use it, but just remember we're here to support that. Yes, yeah, so remember, we're all licensed teachers and all have years of classroom experience under our belt, so feel free to utilize us in that in that manner. So let's dive into our first example of how to use um, an app in a small group setting in your classroom. We're going to start out with an app that Randy introduced me to last year, which is called Quizzes. I'm going to spell that one because it is a little unique. Q-U-I-Z-I-Z-Z. And it finishes off with a .com if you're looking for the website. And yes, if you're familiar with Kahoot, uh, this is Kahoot, but better in my opinion. And I was introduced to Kahoot a while ago and I liked it. And then when someone showed me quizzes, I was sold because 
while Kahoot has its beneficial features, it's very engaging. Uh, the kids, you have to do it together. You have to do it whole group. I know they've made some updates since then, but quizzes can actually be done what's called asynchronously, which means kids can do it at their time on their own. And I love how it's engaging to the students, but it avoids that chaos and that excitement where you almost lose their focus on the learning activity at hand. I'll be honest, that was my least favorite part of Kahoot. My kids got too wild, too excited, and I feel like they weren't focused on the learning task at hand. So quizzes kind of eliminates that right off the bat. And the way it eliminates that is, even if you are doing this as a whole group or a whole class, is once you start the the game, the game happens on the student devices, not on the big screen in front of the room. So the students look at their screen and they get their question. And what's nice is the questions are mixed up. So uh, two students sitting next to each other may have different questions just because of the order that they were presented in. Also to that point, um, quizzes adds funny little memes. If you're right or you're wrong, and the kids get a kick out of that. They're not waiting for their friends to see what they say and things of that nature. It's, it's more manageable as far as classroom management goes. And if you have those really um, competitive or emotional students in your room who will freak out if they lose or if they didn't get their answer in on time before the timer runs out, quizzes is a great option for them. It's self-paced. They can work, like Randy said, looking at their own screen and they're just kind of focused on their own learning, not worried about the chaos that's happening around them in the classroom. And if you're new to quizzes, uh, much like Kahoot, you can go and look for pre-made quizzes. I mean, make sure you read them carefully because some are student-made and they have silly answers and lots of mistakes, but there are a lot of good quality teacher-made ones that will likely match the content that you're going for for that day. You don't have to start making one from scratch. And in addition, you could also find a pre-made quiz and then alter it and add your own questions on top of that or change the multiple choice options. So kind of work smarter, not harder. That seems to be the theme for our podcast, work smarter, not harder. We're trying to make the uh, adjustment into tech integration as smooth as possible and realize that it makes your teaching better. Uh, Let's say you are moving away from the whole group instruction, but you still want to use quizzes. Quizzes does integrate with Google Classroom. And so you can assign a quiz. It'll pop up on the stream. And as your students are rotating through the center, have them plug in their headphones because it is noisy and have them take the quiz. They can do it right then and there. You can have the quiz set for a certain amount of time and maybe it's available for two or three days, depending on how long it takes you to rotate through all of your centers. And then you can get a report back on how they did, which questions they uh, did well on, which questions need more work. It, it, it really does dial down to what there is. And yet at the same time, it's a boatload of fun. Rainy and I are big proponents of Google Classroom. But if you're an Edmodo user, um, you can also assign your quizzes through Edmodo. Similar ideas like Randy mentioned, the data gets sent right back to your account. If you don't want to use any of those um, apps to share the game with your students, you could also just project the website with a game code on your smart board or projector and then have your students log in manually by typing in that code. And if the number of devices are an issue, uh, much like Kahoot, if you're in one of the middle or high schools, students can play this on their devices, their phones and their tablets as well. Yes, there's an Android version and an iOS app version. So Right. So as teachers with anything, you want to make sure that the activity that you're having your students participate in is an educational activity. And we've talked a lot about how the kids love quizzes, but 
I think this next feature we'll talk about, the teachers are really going to appreciate. In quizzes, when you're creating those questions, you can actually tag state standards. And then as soon as your students are finished with their quiz, you get a report that have the standards aligned to them. So this is making it a great assessment opportunity for you as a teacher. And again, it's doing a lot of the work for you. You mean those same standards that are in your Infinite Campus gradebook? Exactly. They're built into the system. So it's literally just a click of a button and it's going to tag that standard for you. That... I mean, that just begs to be used then, I would say why, you know, that's just another reason to go for it. It's engaging and it aligns with standards and can easily help you fill out your grade book. I mean, it's a win-win-win. Exactly. Another feature that I was researching when it comes to quizzes was this review mode. So we talked a lot about the game and how you could have students individually work on a game, but you can actually do this review mode, which is more like a flashcard. So you're still going to create those questions and maybe have multiple choice answers, but on the student's version, they're going to read the question, flip it over and see the answer. So this is more of like a self-check option for them. I think perfect for the small group learning activity. Absolutely. There's no reason that you couldn't use this uh, with just a handful of kids. And what's nice is we did an episode last year about, you know, the blended classroom or, you know, there's no reason a kid couldn't work on this at home. Exactly. And speaking of home, there is an option in quizzes to assign a quiz as homework. It doesn't um, have a specific end date. So you would have to enter when you want the students to complete the quiz by. And then it's kind of open-ended. So they could do that at home or they could do it self-paced in the classroom. For example, by Friday, you need to go in to your quizzes and complete that assignment. Another awesome uh, life easing feature of quizzes is it works with Microsoft Excel in two ways. One, you can type up questions in an Excel spreadsheet and import them if you're creating your own quiz. Or uh, if you do assign a quiz or even take one as a whole group, you can export the results to an Excel spreadsheet, which you can look at more closely instead of just having the data on the screen. You can put it on a piece of paper if you want to write notes or utilize it in some other fashion. Yeah, another great assessment opportunity that is going to make quizzes meaningful to your students' learning. And of course, every, not everything has to be necessarily meaningful. You can also create your own customized memes with quizzes. The ones that they have are pretty good. Um, you know, they're relevant, they're funny, and school appropriate. I will point that out. But if you want to make some of your own with your own, you know, if you have a Harry Potter trend in your room or if you have a school mascot that you'd like to integrate, you can upload your own pictures or use their photos and type in your own memes. So if you don't want to become a boring teacher meme, start using quizzes with your students. Shifting gears now, we're going to go back into the world of Google and look at Google Forms, specifically how to use them as a quiz. Another uh, small group idea here where students can work uh, independently without help, but with the use of those Chromebooks that are in your classroom. If you want to move towards that flipped classroom model, Google Forms as a quiz is a great way to start. Um, you can directly link YouTube videos, pictures, um, math problems into the quiz, and then have your students answer some comprehension questions right after that. And it doesn't need to be anything overly elaborate. If you want to have just a two or three question form, 
almost like an exit ticket. There's no reason you can't do that. It's it's quick and simple. Yeah, as soon as your students finish their in-class work, you could have the Chromebook set up in another side of the room and say, okay, go complete your exit ticket digitally on Google Forms. And then they kind of just rotate through that. And if you want to even make it faster, you know, if you're in a hurry, uh, there is a submit another response feature where you can rotate quickly through. You leave one Chromebook logged in or one set of Chromebooks logged in. Students respond, make sure they have their name in there, and then hit submit, and then they can click submit another response for the next student to come in and do the same thing. Because we realize logging in and logging out might add too much time to that process. That's a great tip. Um, Another thing I'd like to point out for teachers is you can really personalize your students' learning through Google Forms as a quiz. When you're actually creating the questions, there's an option to branch or to section off into different um, types of questions. And that's how you can differentiate for your students through Google Forms. So what you're saying is, is if a student answers a certain question let's say incorrectly, it could take them to an entirely different part of the form that they might not otherwise see if they had gotten the question right. Exactly. I can see that being extremely useful. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure, but in Google Forms. Yes. Another option for differentiating for your students um, would be to create a Google form with your basic quiz questions and then to make a copy of that form, saving you time, and then specifically change a few questions based on your students' needs, maybe based on the learning that happened in your classroom that day. You might need to shift gears as far as your teaching goes. Um, Again, saving you time by clicking that make a copy option. If you have some sort of repeatable format, such as a way to respond to a math situation, math problem, um, where the format is as consistent where you have to fill in these blanks, but maybe just change the date. I can see that being a super way to do that. You already have the form created. You just make a copy, change the date, maybe give it a new title, and you're ready to go with a brand new form. And of course, that'll be a brand new set of results as well. Speaking of results... Once your students have completed their quiz in Google Forms, you have some different options for reviewing those results. So right in the program of forms, there's going to be a tab at the top for results. That gives you a lot of information right off the bat. There's um, different types of graphs at the top. It breaks down each question individually and shows you how students performed as well as the whole class performed. In addition, you can click a little symbol and export to Google Sheets, and there you'll have a more um, clean version of their results in that Google Sheet, which you can do with it what you wish. Yeah, the response tab is more of a way to look at your class's responses as a whole, whereas the Google Sheet will allow you a better option to break it down student by student. When it comes to students, they can create their own Google Forms as well. It's not just a a teacher tool. It can be a tool for the students to use. And what I mean by that is they could use it to create a survey for a research project that they're working on. Or they could use it in a way that allows them to create their own quiz that they want to share with other students or maybe just share with a teacher. It's a way of modeling comprehension, a way of learning how to ask better questions. I know um, as a former IB teacher that came in handy as students had to uh, study an issue in the world today, a current events issue, and actually get data to go along with it. It's easy to collect that data electronically rather than walking around with a pencil and paper. 
So if your students are researching in a small group, they could be using those small group set of Chromebooks. But again, like we talked about that rotating through a set of Chromebooks to answer the survey question made by their peers, that's another option as well. So Randy, as we've been talking about Google Forms, something just came to mind um, that I thought was meaningful for teachers and students. We know our students are taking a lot more assessments nowadays digitally, so online, that multiple choice option, they're going to have to maybe fill in the blank or write a short response. Google Forms really mimics that. So if you want your students to have a way to practice their test taking skills, getting them on Google Forms is a great opportunity. Yeah, it's, it's not the most pleasant thing in the world for the kids to do. And it's not even a great topic to talk about when it comes to assessments. But this is a meaningful way to practice it. I think that's a great idea, Julia. Going back into Google Classroom, yes, I know we talk about it a lot on our podcast, but I think that just speaks to its versatility. There are so many ways to use it. It's uh, extremely easy to use. All of your tech integrators are Google certified trainers, so you have that extra help when you need it. We've talked about the ease of Google Classroom for both teachers and students. So it's really easy for teachers to upload small group activities for their students to participate in, as well as for those students to use. So let's talk a little bit more about that small group learning activity in Google Classroom, Randy. Yeah, one element that I really like is the discussion forum in Google Classroom. Uh, you can just pose a question online and have the students respond. Uh, and of course, set some criteria, some rules for them to work with. It's usually a short answer question. You don't necessarily want them writing an essay, but there is that option if you want them to write a paragraph. Um, perhaps you uh, have the students not only just respond to prompts that you have there, but they can also be allowed to post their own questions and then really further a discussion along online in an asynchronous environment. Again, it doesn't have to happen live. It can happen as the students rotate through their centers. Yeah, and you could even give them that um, goal. By the end of the week, I want you to post once in the discussion section of Google Classroom and respond to two classmates. So again, it doesn't have to be done in that whole group setting in one day. You can give them a time frame to complete the task by. Right. It, it, I mean, that's just makes things easier as well. I mean, you don't have to set aside a certain chunk of time. And if a discussion is going well and, you know, you realize it's about time to go to lunch, you don't have to worry about the discussion stopping just because the schedule says it has to. You can keep that going in an online environment. One of the most meaningful pieces for the discussion section in Google Classroom for me is how it gives your students a voice. We all have had those students in our classroom who are shy or hesitant to share and raise their hand. I think letting them express and share their thoughts virtually on this discussion forum really is meaningful to their learning and gives them that confidence that they may need. Right. You always talk about those kids who are reticent to raise their hand in class. This takes away that problem, or at least it should in some respect. Similarly, if you have students who maybe are really rowdy in the beginning of class, it's hard to calm them down and get them to stop talking. If you give them that opportunity to go online and um, start sharing their thoughts and ideas on that discussion forum, that's a way to bring your um, classroom together and start the class out on a more calm and focused note. And just to kind of hitchhike off of that point, remember Google Classroom does have the option to mute individual students if you have those who just cannot or will not take this seriously or are problematic in some other way. They can also be just uh, observers in the discussion process instead of actually participating. 
Uh, one teacher I was working with who uses the discussion forum in Google Classroom often gave me a great idea that I wanted to share with our listeners, Randy. So she thinks that it's actually easier to grade her students' writing right there in the stream in that discussion that's happening rather than having them go out in a Google Doc. So what she has them do is actually write in the Google Doc because it has those spelling and grammar checks. It's a little easier to format their writing there. Then she has them copy and paste it back into the discussion. She says when when it's time for her to grade, she just pulls up that discussion. She has a stack of paper rubrics in front of her, and she just kind of scrolls through and grades their writing. I thought that was a great idea. That is a great idea, and you can do that pretty much anywhere. You don't need to have a stack of papers next to you. I mean, you have the rubrics, but then you're just scrolling through it on your laptop screen rather than paper by paper at your kitchen table. And again, if all your students don't have the opportunity to get on during your class period and write, they can do it at their leisure. And then as soon as everyone rotates through that Chromebook or has the opportunity throughout the week to write, then you're ready to grade all at once. That's a phenomenal idea. I can't find any reason why teachers wouldn't want to start doing that. One last feature we're going to talk about today in regards to Google Classroom and the discussion is uh, students are developing a, a thesis or they're trying to identify a topic. They could, You could give them a forum to post their topic idea, their thesis idea, and actually allow you as the teacher and their classmates, their peers, to respond to it with meaningful comments. Uh, it's not necessarily a discussion per se, but it might allow them to hone their thinking and actually you know, dwindle down into a succinct topic. I could see that being extremely useful, especially at the high school level. Definitely. And I think giving the students opportunities to see what their classmates topic or thesis statement is really can be beneficial to their own learning. Make it that writing process, not just a, um, a solitary activity. Bring the whole class into the process. Absolutely. Uh, that brings us to the end of our first segment today. Yes, we make it sound like it's super simple to start getting centers going, but I think the most challenging task if you're going to start using technology-based centers is establishing that routine. You need to make sure that you're comfortable with the devices and the apps that you're using and therefore are able to set up a classroom routine uh, for how that works. Our guest Stephanie Scarness has some great information on setting routines while using devices in a small group setting. We'll be right back after this. It's time for another listener letter to be answered by one of our very own Google for Education certified tech integrators. This letter comes from a teacher at Park. Help! My inbox is overwhelming me. I can't find time to sort through all my emails, let alone find something when I need it. What's the best way to organize my Gmail account so I can focus on teaching and not on my inbox? Signed, Puzzled at Park. Hmm, I bet Natalia has a message about mail. Dear Puzzled, Gmail labels and filters can be a lifesaver when it comes to organizing your inbox. Start with creating labels. I have a label for weekly updates from my principal, payroll, and even parents. Next, create filters by adding email addresses that you will receive messages from for each category. Now, sit back and relax, and let Gmail filter the emails straight to your labels. 
Thanks for the letter. Natalia. Today we have Stephanie Skarnis with us, IB coordinator at Starbuck Middle and IB World School. Thanks for being here today, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. So we wanted to ask you to get to know a little bit more about yourself, if you could share two truths and a lie. So two truths and a lie. I broke my ankle and leg cheerleading in college at a football game. I love the Minnesota Vikings. I met Randy Moss while visiting the Mall of America. Ooh, those are tough ones. We'll have to see if our fans can guess those. Uh, so part of the reason we wanted to interview today is I guess you are quite the user of Flipgrid, uh, which for those who may not know is an app where teachers can record short videos or and have their students record short videos, share them in a ver- variety of ways. We'll learn more about that in detail as we talk to Stephanie. So can you tell us about uh, one of your best successes using Flipgrid? So I got, as they say, Flipgrid fever probably three, four years ago, right about the same time I got the right grant for the first year the district had it. So my students went one-to-one, so I really was trying to implement more technology. And at the end of my first year, I had every child make a Flipgrid saying why they liked having technology in the classroom, what they learned about it. And it was a great way that not only myself, our principals, we actually used it at the right grant showcase. Others could kind of see what the kids liked about technology um, and how they enjoyed using it. The kids really felt ownership that they were kind of sharing with others and letting people know what they were doing in class. And it was kind of a fun way for them to, even if they were shy, they could still put their two cents in and kind of input when maybe they wouldn't have just raised their hand and answered in class. Oh, I like that, how you talked about giving students a voice. Maybe some of those shyer students might not want to share in front of the class, but they felt more comfortable using the Flipgrid. They did, and they really liked the fact that they could go in the corner or a quiet place on their own. They had their computer. They could record their answer without others watching them, and if they didn't like it, they could stop. They could re-record, um, but they got the chance that if they had something to say, they could say it. They could share it with others. They didn't have to feel a little intimidated. That, that's very cool. I think part of what teachers have trouble getting into these apps and things like that is to find, okay, how is it exactly useful? How is it not just a tech toy that kids can play with? And I think you gave some great examples there. Definitely. So you mentioned you use this in a one-to-one setting, but maybe if a teacher was using this in a small group setting, do you have any tips on to manage a classroom while using Flipgrid? So really, once the kids understand how it works, it's really a great, can be used as part of blended learning in a rotation, or we actually got a grant last year and got, we call them our Flipgrid tents, so they're big like pod tents that we have, we can put in classrooms with little stools where the kid can go sit in a little tent, zip themselves up, and then record their Flipgrid in privacy so they know they have to take turns and kind of sign up for their tent time. Um, It's something that they can be spread out in their own area. So if they're not working with the teacher, they can kind of just go to a special spot and use it. Um, You can put your directions right on there. So I always recorded a video of myself explaining what the kids needed to do. And I usually do an example Flipgrid. So the kids could go on, they could watch my Flipgrid. They knew what was expected and then record theirs after the fact. Oh, I like that modeling piece. That's really important. Yeah, and it's it's kind of... Also, make sure that you as the teacher know how it works exactly. I mean, instead of just throwing a kid on and saying, you'll figure it out, you're actually giving a good example from the app itself. That's awesome. So if someone were more of a novice user of technology, um, would you recommend Flipgrid as a way to get in, or do you think that they need a higher comfort level first? So we actually, the last couple of years, had our entire staff do an intro and welcome to the school year using Flipgrid. So it kind of gave them all a chance to try it out on their own and see kind of the ease of using Flipgrid. It's not that complicated once you kind of look at it and you can try it out. 
it can be trial and error. There are some more detailed things you can do with it, but really anyone that just wants to give it a try, it's not very difficult to get to understand the concept of it. There's lots of samples you can watch. If you are on Twitter, there's tons of people tweeting about it all the time um, in different groups to hear ideas. So are there any specific content area teachers that you've noticed using Flipgrid more so for some sort of standard tie-in or assessment piece? So our world language teachers have really taken to Flipgrid and use it a lot to have the kids practice speaking, um, so with some of their speaking and listening skills and talking to each other as they're learning the new language. Um, they've done some great projects where they talked about different foods. Uh, the last group just did an alphabet project where the kids had to record and have images to go with different um, letters of the alphabet. So they've used it a lot in the world language component to do the speaking and listening, as well as our language and literature teachers use it for some of their presentation um, standards they have to follow through Common Core. Those are all great examples. I think our listeners will be inspired by hearing those different areas that I, teachers are using it. I know I am because I have not used this app a lot. And I, I mean, the level of interest I have now has raised a lot more. And I, we can tell just from the conversation that the engagement level for students has got to be pretty high, too, I would imagine. Uh, we can wrap it up here with just a kind of a simple question. Is there a preferred device that you use for Flipgrid or maybe what device that you want to stay away from? When kids are using it? I know we've, teachers allow the kids too to go home. They can, because you can have Flipgrid on your phone and use it as well that way. I know a lot of kids found it easier to use with like an iPad or a phone just for their normal comfort level. But honestly, using it on the computers with the Chromebooks, it's probably the best way to do it in school because there's usually not as many glitches and issues as we might have with some of the older iPads in the buildings. Um, but really, we found success using it on multiple different devices um, as the kids have changed their comfort level and played around with the app. So it's universal, almost universal in that respect then, too. Yes. Awesome. This sounds like a gold mine here that we got to check out. Uh, well, thank you, Stephanie, for taking the time to sit down with us today and chat with us. And uh, we'll be back with more Techsperts right after this, The More You Tech. Blind Carbon Copy is a feature that saves a lot of headaches for you and your colleagues. This feature hides email addresses from all recipients to aid in privacy. It makes it especially useful when emailing parents. Put all their addresses in the BCC section to keep them out of view from others. What's better is that when people reply to a BCC'd message, it will only be sent to you and not the entire list of original recipients. Keep your emails need to know the more you tech. In episode 10, Julia and I talked about the big topic of small group instruction using technology. We focused on quizzes, Google Forms, and Google Classroom, giving you specific ideas to utilize these programs in a small group setting. Thanks to Stephanie Skarnis, the IB coordinator at Starbucks, for taking time to chat about the wonders of Flipgrid and how to manage students using devices in small groups. Remember, you can share your comments and questions with us on Twitter at RealTechSperts or email techsperts at rusd.org. Subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And most of all, stay techy, RUSD. This episode of Real Techsperts of RUSD was produced using Adobe Audition. Musical pieces were excerpts from Where Is My Jetpack and May the Chords Be With You both by Computer Music All-Stars, courtesy of Free Music Archive, distributed on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify via Anchor. 
copyright, Racine Unified School District.